strapping cause here we go Welcome to our itty-bitty committee Welcome back to the Itty Bitty Art Committee Podcast, a podcast created by students from Chisholm Middle and High School in Enid, Oklahoma. This is your official host, Jessica Duncan. On today's show, we will analyze three pieces of art that originate from the ancient Egyptian era of art. Strap in, cause here we go. Welcome to our Itty Bitty Art First, let's step into the time machine. machine. Little trouble with the old time machine here. Oh, wait, wrong date. That was the 1980s. Let me punch in the correct date. Ah, there we go. First, we will look at an extremely early and significant piece of ancient Egyptian art called the Rosetta Stone. The Rosetta Stone was created in 196 BC, but was not found until 1799. Hey, what's up my podcast listeners? This is Logan Buford. And this is your man, Brownie, here to tell you about the Rosetta Stone. And lastly, this is one Mr. Campbell. And no, today we are not talking about some actor from Hollywood. Mm -hmm. This is actually a rock. The Rosetta Stone is a stone tablet that was found in Egypt and is currently being housed in the United Kingdom. It was used as a way to translate between Greek and Egyptian hieroglyphics. It was actually considered to maybe even just be one big hieroglyph or a book of them. But what is its history? History, history, history. Dude, you don't need a tube for the afterlife. Well, if you do, come and talk to the girls or offices of J and Pay. We do luxurious tubes for parents and cheap ones for the poor. You pay? We got you covered. We also do mummification, so you don't have to. Side effects may include heart failure, respiratory issues, cancer, hair loss, cannula bone, skin infection, loss of hair, death, frostbite, bacteria infection, decapitation, suffocation, low cholesterol, sugar drop, leprosy, blood loss, changing in color, death, paper cut, and loss of limbs. On July 1979, during Napoleon Bonaparte's Egyptian campaign, a French soldier discovers a black basalt slab inscribed with ancient writings near the town of Rosetta, about 35 miles east of Alexandria. And I bet Bonaparte couldn't handle to be apart from the shocking discovery. If you didn't laugh at that at home, it's alright. We didn't either. Well, back to the facts. The French army engineers, who were originally part of Napoleon Bonaparte's Egyptian campaign, discovered the stone in 1799 while making repairs to a fort, and they actually found it inside one of the walls. After defeating Napoleon's forces at Alexandria in 1801, the British commandeered many of the Egyptian artifacts the French had collected during their occupation, including the Rosetta Stone. General Manu actually tried to claim the stone as his personal property, but the English recognized its value and made its transfer part of the official surrender. The Rosetta Stone is a grandorite steel inscribed with three versions of a decree issued in Memphis, Egypt in 196 BC during the Ptolemaic dynasty on behalf of King Ptolemy V Epiphanes. The stone's estimated dimensions are about 3 feet 9 inches tall by 2 feet 4 inches wide and about 11 inches thick. That's with three cubes. 
Because it was in three languages, we were able to figure out the two we didn't already know, and the slab was used as a translation cipher between ancient Greek and the Egyptian text and hieroglyphs. After defeating Napoleon's forces at Alexandria in 1801, the British commandeered many of the Egyptian artifacts the French had collected during the occupation, including the Rosetta Stone. As a result, it has been in the British Museum since 1802, except for the occasional exhibit in another country or having to be moved due to safety reasons. For instance, during World War I, bombing scares prompted British Museum officials to move the Rosetta Stone, along with a few other select artifacts, to a nearby postal tube station situated 50 feet underground. After discovering the stone and losing it to the Brits, France finally got its chance to host the artifact in 1972. And despite rumors that France might just hold on to the Rosetta Stone, the Louvre returned it to the British Museum after one month of it being exhibited there. But back to the stone. While Thomas Young was the first to realize a connection between some of the hieroglyphic letters and that of the name of the ancient ruler Ptolemy, it was his French rival Champollion that made the first significant breakthrough. But that Champollion broke open a bottle of champagne to celebrate. Champollion chugged champagne celebratorily. Try saying that three times quick. We will then look at the mysterious and very famous mass of Tutankhamun, created in 1323 BC. We want to know more about him and why his mask is embellished in his priceless, in his priceless decor. Hello, welcome back to the Itty Bitty Art Committee podcast. This is Paige Bailey. And I'm Jennifer. Actually, I'm just Ashley Misha. So today we are talking about King Tut's death mask which was one of the most famous items found in his tomb. King Tut's death mask was very famous because it was very detailed and it allowed the spirit to recognize the body after death. The mask is currently at its home in Egyptian Museum in Cairo, the largest city in the Arab world. So when do you think he died? Great question. He died at the age of 19 in 1324 BC in Egypt. There are endless possibilities on how King Tut died. One of them was that he had an infection in his leg, which led to his death. Early investigations pointed to bone fragments in Tut's skull to propose the theory that he died from a blow to the head by political rivals. Come on down to Larry's. If you want to get your pyramids, I got all kinds of pyramids. You ever want a pyramid in your backyard? Me too. Call us today. 1-800-PYRAMID. Or email us at pyramid. So back to our topic. King Tut's death mask represents an idealized portrait of himself. The mask would allow the soul to recognize the mummy after its wandering of the day. If something happened to the body, the mask would give it a place to reside. Gold, the never tarnishing metal of which the bodies of gods were made of, would last forever. The mask was discovered by Howard Carter in 1925 in tomb KV62 in the Valley of the Kings. What does that mean? Well, well Paige, the Valley of the Kings is also called the Valley of the Gates of the Kings. It was used as a burial chamber for nearly 500 years. Kings and royalty were buried there with their families and possessions. The mask is about 54 centimeters tall, 39 centimeters wide, and weighs about 22 pounds. Wow, that's a heavy mask. Now, let's talk about what the mask symbolizes. King Tut's mask depicts the boy king wearing the traditional false beard of the pharaoh. Beards were considered to be sacred to the gods, also known as the pharaohs. 
meaning the false beard depicted on King Tut's mask was a divine symbol of the gods, emphasizing his status as a living god. That's crazy how he was only nine years old to become king and was worshipped as a god. I wonder if he had a wife or even any kids before his death. His wife was his half-sister. Scientists believe that they had two daughters, but they were most likely to be stillborn. Wow, that is so sad. Is there anything else to know about the mask? Although it was usually removed when the mask is on display, it has a triple string necklace of gold and blue disc beads with locust flower terminals and uraeus clamps. And there is a protective spell inscripted with Egyptian hieroglyphics on the back of the shoulders in 10 vertical and 2 horizontal lines. The spell first appeared on mask in the Middle Kingdom 500 years before Tut. Emblems on the forehead include a vulture, cobra, and on the shoulders are a falcon head. In ancient Egypt, the vulture is considered godlike. The cobra was worshipped by all ancient Egyptians and was used as a symbol on the crowns of the pharaohs. The cobra is a protective symbol that was believed to spit fire at enemies. The detail in the face shows the amount of work put into the mask and it shows how important it was. The stripes on the headdress are glass, but the eyeliner and eyebrows are made of lapis lazuli, one of the Egyptians' favorite stones, which had to be imported from Afghanistan. The eyes themselves are of obsidian and quartz. Ever want to climb up in the air? Really high? Come on down. Ladies modern day pyramid supply. The holes in the ears of the mask show that Tut, like many young Egyptian boys, wore earrings. By adulthood, he would have stopped wearing them. How much do you think that the mask is worth today? Take a guess. I'm going to guess one million dollars. You're kinda close. King Tut's death mask is estimated to be worth two million dollars. I guess it would be that much considering the details, gold, how old it is, and especially who it belonged to. Well, I think that just about covers everything. And lastly, we will take a look at the Great Sphinx, which some historians claim is as old as the Fourth Dynasty. Yo, what is up, party people? This is Aubrey, and I'm here to talk to you about the Great Sphinx of Giza, along with... Me, Evan Brown. Knock, knock. Who's there? Sphinx. Sphinx who? Oh, man, I got in messed up. Let's talk about the Sphinx, though. Okay, so the Sphinx is actually one of the most famous statues in the world. It shows a lion's body with the head of a pharaoh. Now that we know what it is, what is it made out of? Well, it was carved out of limestone on the Giza Plateau. It be built during the reign of King Khafre. Actually, many scholars disagree with its age. Some say 4,000 years, but some say way more. So I guess no one really knows. If only the Sphinx had a birth certificate. But moving on, how big is the creature itself? This creature measures 240 feet long and stands 66 feet high, oriented on a straight west-east axis. Hey, come here. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you a little about gold. Ancient Egypt's finest. 24 carat, 64 carat, 200 carat. Don't believe us? Hey, just check out the testimonials for yourself. I said the little half, and the necklace, and the balloons, and the balloons. Call today. Call today. One fact, the Sphinx was actually named by the Greeks. The Egyptians referred to it as home market, or Horus of the horizon. It also had its own cult. Cult? Cult? No, no, this cult didn't sacrifice anyone. Nature, Egypt, cults, religious groups. This one would be exact under the sky god, or mentioned earlier as Horus. You know, the Sphinx is actually pretty mysterious. Scholars believe that King Khafre and his son created this to honor himself, but they don't really know for sure. Oh, 
almost like the Egyptian version of Johnny Bravo. Mm-hmm. The only difference is King Kafka can actually get a girlfriend. <laughs> Anyways, back to the Sphinx. It was estimated that the painting of the Sphinx took three years and had 100 workers to work on it. Also, the only thing they had were stone hammers and copper chisels to finish the statue. Like how the pyramids were made. Another fact is that the Sphinx is slowly breaking apart from erosion. As is seen on the statue, most of its body and face are broken. Well, what about the nose of the Sphinx? What happened to that? Have you seen my nose? Well, nobody really knows. Some think that the nose is broken off from erosion or shot off by Napoleon. <laughs> Interesting. Ooh, another great fact is that the Sphinx has a temple like the Great Pyramid and the Osirian Temple at Abdos in southern Egypt. Hey, girls. Yo, what's up? Hey! Hey! You ever want makeup eyeliner that lasts? Oh. I got the makeup just for you. Ancient Egyptian eyeliner. But did you know that repairs to the Sphinx have been made over the centuries by Pharaohs Tuthmosis IV and Ramses II, and also during the Roman era? No, but I did know that a number of findings suggest that the Sphinx was originally intended to be an even greater accomplishment than that which we see today. Also, we found large stone blocks, toolkits, and if you can believe it, lunches apparently, abandoned midway through a wood. Hey, this is King Tut. Wait a second, wait a second. You found my lunch? Give me my lunch. I want my lunch. Give me my lunch. Give me my lunch. Give me my lunch. I want my lunch back. You found my lunch? Apparently, this sphinx once had color, though it is now indistinct from the drab tan of its sandy surroundings. The sphinx may at one time have been completely covered in vivid paint. Remnants of red can be found all over the statue's face, while hints of blue and yellow remain on the body. Alright, alright, one more thing. Listeners, all you gotta do is go to our website, grab a computer, whatever you need, and look it up. You can see the sphinx in full color. Yeah, that's right, in full color. So grab a computer. Grab a cell phone and itty bitty Archimedes. That's right, a link can easily be reached in iTunes. Just look at the link, the space, in full color. That's right, full color. When we first found the statue, all it was buried to understand from the neck below. Some archaeologists tried to remove the sand, but it came too much. Until the 1900s, when all the sand was finally removed so that the feet could be seen for the first time in many years. After they unburied the statue, there were inscriptions on slabs of the paws, which told the story about how it was saved from time. The story goes something like, there was a young prince, and in one of his dreams, the sphinx talked to him, and said if he removed the sand and restored it, that the prince would become a pharaoh. Amazing story, Aubrey. Well, that concludes our today's podcast about the Great Sphinx. Hope this helped you out understand more about the Great Sphinx of Giza. Thank you for listening to the podcast, and don't forget to follow and make sure you keep up with our new episodes. Have a great Sphinx of a day, and go have fun. Goodbye. Have a good day. Here we go. Welcome to our itty bitty, our committee.